Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street podcast sponsored by the Maryland Association of Counties. Kevin Canale joined by my co-host Michael Sanderson. Today we are going to talk about education funding, a timely topic, especially because there is a commission tasked right now with reviewing current education funding formulas and making recommendations on how to achieve adequacy across the education spectrum in Maryland. And Michael, when we talk about education funding, there's always this, this, we revert back to 2002, and you were around yeah. then. There was a commission who looked at education funding then, and tell us how we got to where we are today. I mean, first of all, public education is topic number one in public service at the state and local level. So, I mean, this is embedded in the Maryland Constitution, like lots of states, that uh, a thorough and efficient public education is an entitlement. It's a right to school children in the state of Maryland that's fundamentally different. We, you know, we, we run jails and we have a Department of the Environment and we do all these other things in, in state government because the citizens want and demand it. The Constitution requires that you live up to the promise, uh, promises of public education, and that's why it's a really big chunk of each year's state budget, that's why it's um, typical county puts in more towards education than everything else put together. So it's topic number one uh, for a good reason. So you, you talked about the state and the counties putting in a large chunk of their budget. For counties, it's always around 50 percent for each county. And why is it why is that the case in Maryland? And, and how does Maryland differ from most other states in the way that we fund our education system? Well, I mean, there's there's. One thing that's unusual here, I think just about every state has a blend of state and local funding that that comes together to fund public education. So um, that's not unusual. Maryland does that. Uh, most states around us have, have a blend like that. That's a really typical circumstance. What is a little unusual here is that the county governments are the central player rather than the school boards themselves. I... Um, I, I grew up in the state of Ohio where uh, each basically every, each high school had its own school district right. and you paid a school tax, uh, a property tax, which had its own millage rate and that sort of thing. So there was an, a, the revenues for education were sort of compartmentalized. That's, that's a more common structure than what we have in Maryland where it's the county government funds education alongside all the other needs of government. So essentially, local school boards in Maryland do not have the ability to raise revenue, so they rely on the county to provide them with the local share. Right. And that's that's part of what the, you know, the, the structure that has been in place for decades, and, and you reference back to the, the Thornton Commission in 2002. That's, that's sort of, I think that's the reasonable place to start looking backwards is how we got to where we are, and uh, the, the plan that's got us in many ways, folks would credit the commitment of the Thornton legislation to to making some advances in in public education and our outcomes that have Maryland routinely among the highest rated schools in the country. You know, frequently we're number one. Right, and so you talked about Thornton, and I just you know I'll give a brief overview, and I'm sure you can get a little more into the nitty gritty. But essentially, what that commission did was in order to figure out how much money Maryland should be spending on education. They looked at how much it costs to educate children in successful schools. Then they added some money for at-risk formulas, right. so special ed, poverty. Um, and then they decided that they were going to distribute the money 
across the state based on how much it costs to educate a child, depending on where you are geographically in the state. Those 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 prices fluctuate, obviously, depending on where you are. So is that essentially the, the three components to Thornton? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the skeleton. You you come up with the dollar cost to educate a student. Uh, we then you make a special recognition, like you mentioned those those special populations that are more expensive to educate uh, students with special needs or uh, English language learners mm-hmm. uh, or or students who who um, who uh, who have a tough background and, and are on free and reduced price meals. Uh, we recognize those are areas where it may cost more, so you have sort of an extra multiplier for those categories. That comes up with the total cost, and then. Back to this idea of the state and local blend, Maryland, like most places, it's really the state's responsibility to smooth out the edges of what the local governments can contribute. So you have you have high wealth and lower wealth parts of the state here, like anywhere. Mm-hmm. So the the state divvies up that total cost in part based on the local wealth. Right. So there's a formula that decides what places cost more to educate. Yeah, that's um, the the GCEI. We don't want to get into alphabet soup, right. but that but that measure is that's a that's sort of a sprinkle on top in Maryland's current funding formula. But th- there's two ways we look at we look at costs. Um, one is with this wealth formula, each jurisdiction, the share of that total cost to educate per student is you know, it's, it's calculated the way we just discussed and then divvied between the state and local responsibility based on local wealth. Um, and then for areas where there's a high cost of educating in general, and mostly we're talking about labor costs, right. um, where, where that's definitely the case, you have some extra state funding sort of sprinkled on top, on top through the GCEI. So that's just to smooth over the, those, those costs that are elevated in some parts of the state. Right. So the Thornton Commission, they came up with these formulas, and that is where we are today, right? We're using the Thornton Commission's ideas and their right. formulas in our current finance system. Right. Well, we've, we've, uh, we've smoothed out a few of the details over time. Um, everyone references the Thornton Commission. Uh, reality is that the commission met and made a series of recommendations and then had to hand their recommendations and report to the General Assembly. Right. And it was the General Assembly who ended up drafting and then crafting and recrafting the legislation that ultimately passed in, in the year 2002. So, so um, that, that the mechanics of that are a little more complicated yeah. than just the commission meets, they say what to do, and everybody rubber stamps it. Uh, heaven forbid there were some politics involved. Of course, too, right? yeah, right. That, that makes sense. So the General Assembly got the recommendations, made a few changes, and essentially that's where we are today with education funding formulas. And this is a timely topic, as we said, because currently we have a commission who is now taking a look at what the 2002 commission proposed and the formulas and deciding whether or not things need to be updated, if, if the state should be spending more money, if the state is truly achieving ad, you know, adequacy and, again, constitutionally bound to do so. Right. So we now are at this point, we have a commission meeting, and can you talk about what you think comes out of this and what we've seen so far? I know we've been very much involved in this commission and with our membership, so you know, sure. where we are today. Right. So we've got, I mean, this is, this is, um, 
this is the center ring of the circus right now, and for good reason. I mean, the, the, the dollars that go in to the public education enterprise, I mean, it's $11, $12 billion, depending right. how you count, right. um, between that state and county contribution and a relatively small share that comes from the federal government. But that's, I mean, this is this is a big enterprise. Uh, the 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 Kerwin Commission has has been meeting. I mean, at at one point we called it Thornton too right. to sort of suggest this is going to be as big of a deal as the Thornton Commission, and people still reference Thornton funding and so forth. Um, the the Kerwin Commission has a big charge. Uh, they're supposed to be done by December of this year, so that's literally weeks more than months away from from as we as we speak now, and. Uh, Still an awful lot to do. So uh, so as far as what's going to happen, uh, part of the reason we wanted to have this conversation on the podcast is there's a range of possible outcomes and there's a lot of important stuff still on the table. Absolutely. So, yeah, the Thornton or excuse me, the Kerwin Commission um, named or called the Kerwin Commission now because it's chaired by Britt Kerwin, the former head of the University of Maryland system. And their charge is to review and assess current education financing formulas and accountability measures and how each local school system is spending it fun, its funds. So that's where we are. And I want to get into a few specific things here. Um, let's talk about maintenance of effort. This was a, an idea that came from the 2002 Thornton Commission. And essentially, maintenance of effort is counties cannot spend less on education than they did the year before. So you have to maintain that commitment. You can't divert those dollars to other areas uh, where you'd spend money such as, you know, public safety or infrastructure, that number needs to re- remain the same or go higher. Right. And that's, I mean, this this concept of uh, the federal government funding a state program or the state funding a local program, we've seen phrases along these lines. Sometimes it says these funds shall supplement and not supplant local efforts. So um, this actually goes back well before the Thornton Commission. The, the concept of maintenance of ever goes back to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. We've had you know various iterations of state groups looking at school funding, but this has been around for decades. The general concept of to get your state funds that the counties need to continue their commitment. And like most things in, in education, this is on a per pupil basis. Right. So not necessarily just the same number of dollars, the same dollars per student. And when most school populations are at least gradually increasing, now that means that the, the, the total dollars have to come up. Exactly. And, and so when we're talking about maintenance of effort, and ideally, that is supposed to be the amount that counties are spending on education. But there are some circumstances where money that is going toward education is not necessarily reflect, reflected in MOE, right? Yeah, I mean, this becomes difficult. Uh, as, long as, as long as all you're talking about is one given county, they have a way of doing business, and they may say, well, we're going to have the local health department be in charge of nurses that are placed in schools. That money never makes it into the school budget. But in terms of maintenance of effort year to year, as long as it's the same last year as this year and right. the same next year, it doesn't much matter. Um, you're, you're providing that service, whether it's in the school budget or elsewhere, doesn't much matter. This does get a little thorny, though, if a body like the Kerwin Commission is going to start making judgments about county commitments to schools. You better get those apples and oranges and and probably some grapefruits. Pineapples. Um, yeah, yeah, we got them all. Yeah, but, I mean, we, we, there's there's lots of different blends out there. So there's there's work to be done if you want if someone wants to reach a conclusion saying 
you know, this county is more than that county. You better make sure you're counting everything. Right. You, you have, you know, things like after school programs, school resource officers, you alluded to school nurses. Sometimes counties may be providing those resources for education, but it's not necessarily reflected. Right. And as you said, we don't want there to be a situation where counties are being ranked unless we're truly capturing the amount of money that's going toward education. Yeah. So the maintenance of effort concept is sort of a founding principle of the state makes its commitments to funding the schools. And like we said, it's the counties as opposed to the school boards who raise the revenue. And so there's an absolute guarantee that the counties will be there to continue their level of funding. And in almost every economic circumstances over the years, we have seen counties have been willing to exceed, usually substantially exceed that maintenance of effort minimum. Yeah, absolutely. And, and currently, um, all counties are are meeting maintenance of effort and actually um, exceeding maintenance of effort overall by hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's important to point out. After the break, we're going to come back and talk more about some of the issues being considered by the commission that's currently looking at education funding. And uh, we'll do that after the break. back. And when we left off, we were talking about uh, the Kerwin Commission and what they are doing currently, some of the stuff that they're looking at. And I want to get into some more specifics here. So some of the stuff that we're looking at includes pre-K, teacher lattices, uh, career and technical education, and expanding that, uh, and then declining enrollment. So Michael, let's first talk about pre-K. This is a, a big issue nationally. It's a buzzword. Uh, providing pre-kindergarten for all four-year-olds at least. So we've been following this. What do you see so far with the pre-K issue? I I think there's been a a push in Maryland for some time to try and expand uh, access to pre-K. Right now, school systems are obliged to offer uh, pre-K services to to kids who are Title I eligible, basically, basically the relatively poor kids mm-hmm. um, already should have access. But I think there's a good deal of academic research that's been persuasive. You can tell it's been persuasive to members of this commission yes. and other stakeholders that early childhood education and the brain development in kids who are three and four and five years old is sort of a critical time. Really sets the stage for their yeah. future academic life. Right. So so this is this is understandably a hot button and I think there's quite a lot of movement. I, I don't know, it sounded at the last couple of meetings of the Kerwin Commission like it was practically a consensus that the membership there want to endorse the idea of Maryland providing much broader, if not universal, access mm-hmm. to pre-K services. Yeah, I, I can certainly say that uh, the past few meetings, we, we've seen that. There are a few details that need to be ironed out. One of the issues is just space, yeah, right? Where, 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 you gonna, where, do you, where do you put all these right, kids? We, right. we, our schools can't, um, can't take on this many new students. But 
through right. private partnerships and public-private partnerships. Uh, that seems to be the, the, the road that they want to go down. Yeah, and, and sometimes the, the devil's in the details there. I mean, the, the public-private partnership sounds pretty good on paper, mm-hmm. and then it starts turning into, well, where exactly and who's going to be watching the kids, and are they, are they going to be at a church? Are they exactly. going to be, you know, are they going to be in somebody's basement? Are these, or just talking about daycare providers getting some more training? And who's going to oversee right. yeah. to make sure that these people have the training? Right. So that's, I mean, that's a big undertaking, but uh, we're not the only state looking at this. Right. It's, an, it's a national issue for sure. So we'll keep an eye on pre-K. Um, the next uh, item that I want to get into is, is career lattices for teachers. And this has become um, a big issue as well for this commission. And let's talk about what we're, what we're meaning when we're talking about lattices. I mean, I know the commission has spent a great deal of time on this, and it seems to me the the core here is more a matter of philosophy and the approach to the education profession mm-hmm. than than it is the kind of nuts and bolts financing that state policy nerds like me are interested in. I'm right. I'm used to seeing columns of numbers and percent increases and things like that, but this is more what are we going to make the education profession look and feel like in Maryland so that you get a certain class of people who pursue it, who stay in it and remain committed. Right. To it? And ultimately this is about recruiting and retaining the best teachers that, you know, that Maryland can get by providing more incentives for them to stay. And and I think you have, these are non-financial conversations to some degree, mm-hmm. but I mean, you have differences of opinion or different views about, what are the priorities of people in the teaching profession? And sometimes that's money, but sometimes it's things like autonomy. Sometimes it's, it's a, you know, a sense of, of satisfaction with outcomes and, and things of that nature that don't necessarily involve cash, but they're more management and technique and independence and so forth. This is a little more complicated than just dollars, but sometimes it is about dollars. Yeah, and so it is very complicated and, you know, teaching environment, autonomy, those are all things that um, teachers have said are very important to them. So, again, this is something that we just want you to know is a major issue. We could get into the nitty and gritty and spend five hours on this one topic, but we won't do that. Um, so another issue uh, relating to education in, in the Kerwin Commission is uh, career and technical education, CTE. And essentially, there is a stigma, right, Michael, across the country that if you're pursuing anything but a four-year college degree, that somehow you're you're less successful than someone who's going to a four-year school. I, I mean, I, I think there are people who hold that view. I, I think it's unwise to do so. Yes, but um, I, I think I think certainly not just on the technical side, but on the mechan- mechanical and vocational side. Yes, there's an awful lot of career tracks that the student can be served awfully well and can be positioned awfully well by, by you know, taking this direction through, through, through career, te- career and technical education. And, and the commission, I think, is embracing that idea. Yes. Now, where they go, I don't know. Like, you know, we're, we're already trying to imagine what the report of this commission could look like just several weeks from now. And maybe it has some bold statements about 
the resources that should go in this area and the efforts that should be made to you know to to afford the best opportunities for for students who head that way uh, i don't know what that looks like i don't know what it costs but it certainly is on the mind of the commission members yeah and yesterday uh, there was discussion about creating a communication structure across the state that sort of shoots down this stigma and maryland providing more of a rigorous CTE program overall, because some of the the higher performing um, school districts and uh, programs throughout the world um, have a more rigorous CTE program. So, again, that's something that we're going to be talking about further. And and this 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 uh, motif of Maryland as as a participant in a global competition mm-hmm. uh, is it's been a really big part of the Kerwin Commission's conversation. We're we're used to seeing you know, Maryland ranks seventh among the states or ranks thirty eighth among the states and this thing or that thing and that or even just around the, the the surrounding states. We do that all the time too. But not Finland. And Singapore. And Singapore. Right, right, right. right. But so so this commission has been thinking on a global scale and I, I, I think you know, maybe thinking about the modern economy, maybe the world really is flat, and you have to be thinking about Finland and Singapore. Yeah, so so they there, there has been a lot of talk about Singapore and Finland and a lot of sort of broad, maybe grandiose ideas about how Maryland can can get to where you know this commission would like Maryland to get with education. But as you said, this commission is supposed to be making recommendations in December. As you said, we're used to seeing spreadsheets and rankings and people pulling out their calculators and starting to dig in. We haven't seen that yet, and we're a month and a half out. Right, yeah. I mean, if, if, if the charge is some combination of philosophy and finance, uh, we've been really heavy on the former and relatively light on the latter. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's, I think that's going to be part of some of our closing thoughts about how this is coming together. But but there are some of the things Commission has been spending some time on, and they they're they're building off work by a, a hired consultant who worked with the state for some time. So some of these issues are truly financial. We can yes. talk about that too. Yes. So we we can talk about some more financial issues. So let's talk about declining enrollment, and this is a big issue for local governments, um, and not only declining enrollment, but so essentially what we're saying is. School districts, as Michael alluded to earlier, typically you'll see some sort of of boost in enrollment each year, but that's not the case for all of our jurisdictions. Some are losing students each and every year. And Michael, when we talk about declining enrollment, we often talk about it being compounded and this being really a double whammy for counties. Right. I mean, there's without getting too deep in the math, uh, you you can walk through this and kind of follow it. Mm -hmm. So a jurisdiction that has a decline in the number of students. You count the heads of the kids. Um, first of all, uh, the state funds on a per-student basis. Right. So even though you have a certain number of schools and classrooms, if, if, if your school goes from 800 kids to 775 kids, that doesn't mean you don't have science or you don't have band. I mean, you, you serve a few fewer lunches and so forth. There are some things that are variable costs, but some things are almost certainly fixed costs. Right, so fixed versus right. variable are the two buzzwords, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, and so if the state says, well, we're going to only fund you for the kids you've got, that that's fair. That's the way we do things. So if there are fewer kids there, you get less state funding. The, the second part, though, comes in the way the state apportions out the state share versus the local share. This is that calculation of wealth, right. which I think we can expand on too in, in, in a minute too. But 
when we look at that jurisdiction's wealth, if your tax base divided by your number of kids is more or less the way we look at wealth, Mm -hmm. then the tax base, more or less stable perhaps, divided divided by fewer kids, now suddenly you're a wealthier jurisdiction on a per-student basis. So you're getting less state aid. Yeah, fewer dollars per kid. So right. not only fewer kids to pay, but fewer dollars per kid. You actually are clicked down twice in your funding. And when that happens all at once, you can end up like falling off a cliff. Yeah, so that's that double whammy and this compounding effect. So the commission is looking at ways to smooth declining enrollment. I think this is probably uh, one of the areas that moves to the top. It's a pretty easy issue to, to take. And, and the General Assembly addressed this last year as well. Yeah, I think there's been interest. They've been doing it patchwork mm-hmm. because it doesn't pass the smell test in a given jurisdiction to suddenly lose $4 million bucks, or in a small jurisdiction, you lose half a million dollars. Right. But, you know, so what, what's going on? Um, we've been patching that over, coming up with a systemic fix, probably some sort of multi-year moving average that if you're on a decline, you should feel it slowly rather than all at once. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that's not going to up, upend the apple cart for everybody's funding, but when you're in that spot, I think it gives you a, a little bit of a caution. Absolutely, good, yeah. absolutely. And so uh, you mentioned local wealth. Local wealth is also something that this commission is talking about. And again, uh, the way that we calculate local wealth, this is goes way back, Michael. You were around then. Can you can you talk about how this came to be and, and the way that we do things now and why that was decided? Yeah, we don't we don't want to get too deep here right. or we'll hear a massive exodus of listeners. Yes, but, yes. but 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 the general idea is you want to come up with some measure of of the the ability to pay for, for a given county. What, what's your ability to pay on behalf of your school system? Mm-hmm. And, and the two workhorses in the county budget are the property tax and the income tax. Maryland's unusual. The income tax is a big part of what funds county governments. No state uses it like we do. Right. But that's who we are. So you have those two big pieces, and that's the bulk of every county's budget. So you don't necessarily need to go out and look at the number of hotels or the other odds and ends that may pay taxes. You can look at property. You can look at income and have a pretty decent idea what they've got. You take some mix of those two and you divide it by the number of students in your system. And now you've got at least a reasonable index of wealth for each jurisdiction that usually works. Right. So, and that, that's your local capacity, right? But, but it doesn't always work, right? There are some, some issues with this formula. Right. So, so the, the place this general formula kind of breaks down is let's think about a place like Worcester County. So, um, you know, a lot of us visit Worcester County in the Ocean warm months. City. Right, exactly. So, I mean, Worcester County is the jurisdiction that hosts Ocean City. And Ocean City as a town has a bunch of uh, handsome, valuable property. Uh, but, so high property value. Yeah, so high property value. So when you run the numbers, it appears that Worcester County is a wealthy jurisdiction that has lots and lots of ability to pay. And when you say... You know what? You know what? Uh, what? What's the appropriate contribution from Worcester County? It's going to come out high. Fact of the matter is, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but it's like two thirds of the kids in the schools in Worcester County are eligible for a free or reduced priced meal. Right. This is a low income county by and large that happens to have a resort area with wealthy property. So, so when we're talking about this formula, there may be a need to take into account. Uh, people's income and not necessarily 
property values that have nothing to do with these the people on the ground's ability to 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 pay and what their capacity truly is. I mean, you get an awkward situation where literally right now Worcester County contributes way more than any other county per student to their schools, which, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that property value in Ocean City. Those property owners can pay taxes, and they do. Mm-hmm. So, so they the county ends up contributing more per student than than the the places we think of as high wealth, the Montgomerys or Howards or other counties like that. Uh, Worcester does plenty more, but they're still actually on the bad list for not contributing enough effort, and and they're being told by state law. Uh, kick in a little more gang. So these are outliers to the general formula. And I think it's possible that the commission may want to round off some of these smooth edges and, and look at maybe you calculate it twice and take, take a formula that works best. So the Kerwin commission. So we've talked a little bit about what they're doing and, and what we see, you know, in terms of what's going to happen and the fact that they haven't gotten the spreadsheets out. They haven't gotten the calculators out, at least in the public hearings. Right. And these recommendations are supposed to be done by December. We're recording this in mid-October. I mean, you've been around. You've been around Annapolis. You've seen these commissions. It, 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 there's two things that could happen here, right? You're either going to have the next month and a half be a flurry of activity, an avalanche of financial implications, right. or you're going to get down to December and the commission is suddenly going to say, we don't have enough time to make specific recommendations, um, and we're going to need more time, or we're just going to give you some broad generalizations of what we think you should do. Right. I, I feel like both of those paths seem possible. Mm-hmm. And given where we are and, and just a, a handful of weeks left, the clock really is ticking. The commission had a meeting yesterday as, as we're recording this. Uh, just yesterday they met. They had a public hearing into the evening last night. But they had hours of time together, and it was still more philosophy than finance. All philosophy. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, you know, if if there are financial recommendations and detailed things that are going to come from this group, they need to be planted and start growing roots mm-hmm. and get through work sessions and conversations, and then be adopted all in the space of a few weeks. It's not in, it's not inconceivable that it would happen. But it seems like a pretty big lift. Um, the, the other thing that's confusing here is because we don't have anything that was published with numbers in it from basically the entire last year, right. all we've got to look at are these old numbers from the consultants, this, this out-of-state consulting group that was hired by the State Department of Education you know, two and a half years ago and presented a report about a year ago now. Mm-hmm. So those numbers aren't up to date. And also... You know, some of the ways that they came up with those numbers aren't exactly clear. Right. I mean, there's there's no it's very opaque. Uh, the 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 consultants, I think, did an earnest effort to try and look at all these issues. But what they didn't give us, we, don't, we can't see the crosstabs. Right. Right. For, right. for the policy geeks among us. Right. I want to see each of their 14 recommendations, what it means numbers wise, yes. and then put all 14 of them together in the final table. They basically skipped all the ingredients and just showed us the final product. Here's the soup. So they didn't show us their work, <laughs> right? Essentially, yeah. right. right? I want to, you know. So, so what's what's left with stakeholders like us is we can't tell what the component pieces look like. All we have is this giant 
giant set of recommendations. And I mean, these are lofty recommendations, by the way. I mean, when you're when you're a, a million dollar consultant in Denver, it's easy for you to write a write a report that says Maryland should spend two point nine billion dollars more on K through twelve. Right. And here's how we see that coming out. We you know here's right. here's the fallout. Um, right. I, that. I don't think anyone believes that that set of recommendations is what the Kerwin Commission is going to just pick up and adopt. Certainly not. Or or even just take off one little piece here and one little piece there and turn 2.9 into 2.6. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone believes that that's what's coming from the commission. But for lack of having anything newer to look at, we're basically still wandering around with a year-old consultant report. And we heard people just as, as recently as last night talking about $2.9 billion exactly. as if that's already been recommended, that's already been handed to the legislature, and it's just a matter of getting the politicians to vote for it. And that's pro- it's probably one of the issues is that folks hear that number, and it, it sounds like it's a done deal. And like you said, it's not. Not even close, I don't think. Right. So the Kerwin Commission, again, they're working very hard. MAKO does have two representatives. Uh, we have council member from Montgomery County, Craig Rice, He's also the education subcommittee here at MAKO, the chair. And then uh, Bill Valentine, um, a commissioner from Allegheny County, sub, or excuse me, the education subcommittee uh, vice chair. Vice chair. Uh, they both represent MAKO on the Kerwin Commission. So we are well represented, um, and we will continue to follow this. It's, as we've said, it's a big issue. We're talking about a lot of money, but we do want to make sure people understand that the numbers that you see in these charts that are flowing around Yes, they are big and they're and, and somewhat imposing, but we need to remember that that's not exactly what is likely to happen. And and another thing that's intriguing, I think, about the Kerwin Commission is they've had a lot of meetings, they've had a number of guest speakers, and they've subjected the guest speakers to questions, but there's been relatively little interaction mm-hmm commissioner to commissioner. So they haven't been calling for votes or decisions or having work sessions of that sort uh, to any meaningful degree, at least in public. So we, we don't have any fingerprints to look at right now to say, well, we think we know how the votes would line up for this proposal or that proposal. There's an awful lot of people there who are you know, who have a background in a particular area or an expertise in an area or are representing a particular interest. And that's how that's how groups like this are typically composed. But we don't really have a roadmap for here's the pre-K proposal. It's going to be this costly, but it's going to be this ambitious. Who's in? Right. I don't think I don't think we have a really good sense of how that vote goes. A lot of folks want to see pre-K expand. I don't think we have the details of, you know, is that is that going to be a a unanimous vote? Are they going to work for consensus or are they going to take, you know, okay, you know, 60% of the membership want this, so it's in the report. Exactly. And again, with, you know, I, the commissioners that I've spoken to, there there is a bit of frustration about the lack of interaction between commissioners and discussing some of these ideas. And I don't think even they would know how they would vote until they see all of the details. Again, sometimes the devil is in the details. Sure. So, Again, it's a big issue. We're, we're, we're paying very close attention, and, and we will keep you updated. But we felt like doing a podcast and just explaining education funding in general was very timely. We're going to get into our What's on Tap segment. And, Michael, we have a big event coming up here at MAKO. Uh, we do. Um, every year, folks, 
sometimes use the word Mako to reference not our organization, but the big show in August in Ocean City, down with our friends in Worcester County. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do a summer conference every year that's a big scale, big trade show and so forth. We have a winter conference each year, which has a great deal of content. It's deliberately placed right before the start of the General Assembly session. And that's a focus for a number of things, including some of our pageantry with our association. We bring in our new president, our new board and officers for each year and so forth. So that's a big event for us. That'll be at the Cambridge Hyatt uh, on December uh, 6th and 7th, 5th, 6th and 7th. So um, we'll be having, uh, you can see all sorts of information about that on the MAKO website. If you get our our uh, newsletter or read the blog and so forth, we have a lot of content about um, the, the, the sessions that are coming together. But that's going to be a, a big show too. Yeah, so December 6th through 8th at the Cambridge Hyatt, our winter conference. And it's it's such a great conference. There's so much content, so many experts in various areas, fantastic for networking. Um, and we also are going to go over our initiatives. We're going to have a, a session forecast. So it'll be great. We hope you can get down there for that. And uh, Michael, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, spending, right? There's right. this capital... Spending yeah. committee. Right. The, I mean, I, I mentioned on, on our, our pod last week the spending affordability committee as a can't miss, and I would just connect that back. That's coming up this, this coming week on the, on the 17th. Uh, the reason I mention it in particular is as, as the state is looking at education funding, mm-hmm. and whether it's $2.9 billion or some other ambitious goal, uh, part of the ability to rustle up votes for a new commitment to education is, do you have the resources to do that? And we've heard a little bit about maybe not. Maybe the revenues aren't what we we thought they would be, right? Right. So it's, I mean, it's a combination of things, but spending affordability is the body that is always taking a look at the Maryland economy and the likely picture of revenues Mm -hmm. and where things are already going with our current spending commitments so I think that helps paint part of this picture as well. As you, If you're committed to public education, you also should be watching the revenue side and what the rest of the budget looks like. Is there a framework that would allow a multi-year ramp up of new education spending, whether all state or some combination of state and county or whatever they might come up with? Uh, that's that's a, an open question for education advocates as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a great tie-in because, again, um, it, it will – say a lot about what is, is you know, reasonable and what they actually could do uh, in, in the legislature when they maybe get the recommendations from uh, the current current commission. But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up our education funding podcast for now. You can always follow MAKO uh, on our website, uh, mdcounties.org. And then we have a lot of content, not only on education, but all of the subject areas that we cover on our Conduit Street blog. That's www.mdcounties.org. ConduitStreet.MDCounties.org. Also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, social media in general. Michael, any closing comments? I think I think what we want to do is hit our stride and cover policy topics that are relevant around Annapolis that affect our county decision makers. And I mean, so far, the kind of stuff we've been talking about have a broader effect beyond that. So I hope we're finding a place with this. And education, so big, so important, so expensive. I think this is worth the time. Absolutely. And, and we tried to keep this uh, short for you. But if you do have any questions, concerns, uh, you can always contact Michael, myself, or anyone at MAKO. So signing off for now, Kevin and Michael, and we will see you soon.